So in 1 Kings, which by the way, Alex, what did you say this was one year? One year in 1 Kings. We've made it through chapter 16 at the end of today. So that's, that's impressive. It's all thanks to the help I've gotten from Paul and Alex. In chapter 16, we saw these kings, and you remember there were a bunch of them last week, and these kings were bad kings, all of them in Israel, right? And we didn't get a lot of information about their reigns, we just got little quick summaries, and that's normally what we get until you get to the end of chapter 16. And after all these short little snippets from all the kings that we've seen so far, we get to a new king, King Ahab. And Ahab will get several chapters devoted to him instead of several words or several verses. It's not because of how long he reigned, although he did reign for quite some time. He didn't reign as long as some of the other kings that we've already run through in just a verse or two. We saw his father Omri. And in verse 25 it said, Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wickedly than all who were before him. This is a theme that we keep running into, that the kings are not just described as bad kings, but worse kings. And then came Omri, and he was even worse. And then came Ahab, and he was even worse. As a matter of fact, Ahab pretty much stands as the pinnacle of worseness. And that's part of why we get so much time devoted to Ahab. It's not because of how great a king he was. It's not because of the amazing things he accomplished. Because it's, it's because of how bad he really was. And we see it from the very beginning in the introduction of Ahab. After Omri was buried... In Samaria, Ahab, his son, became king in his place, verse 28. And then verse 29, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. 22 years is a long time. The very next verse, though, says Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. How can you do more evil than all who were before you when you're dealing with assassinations, plots, murders, well, 
we'll get to read the details with Ahab. Not just the quick overview of all the bad he did, but although we can look at those details, again, we get the summary first. There's that summary. He did more evil than all who had come before him. His father Omri was worse than all who came before, but Ahab was the worst of all. And what does it say that he did that was so bad when it says that he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all who were before him? The first thing that it says, verse 31, it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So, the whole emphasis as we've seen the study of these kings up to this point, is that all the kings of Israel continued to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. And that was what we were given as a definition of a bad king. If they walked in the sins of Jeroboam, who set up the false golden calf idols and called them Yahweh, right? said, this, these, this, these calves, they're your God. Okay, And so all the kings that continue in the path of Jeroboam, all the kings that continue to worship in this way, are the evil kings. They are the bad kings. That's the test. Are they going to worship the true God, or are they going to worship the false God that Jeroboam Raised up. Now, all of a sudden, instead of that being the pinnacle of the description of the evil that they did, this false worship, now all of a sudden that's described as a trivial thing compared to what's coming next. As though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he married Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So what we have here is the then there was worse. You, you think that it couldn't get worse, right? And then it gets worse. You think well, we've already had bad kings for generations. We've already had wicked false worship for ages, for decades down here, up here. And now, kind of gotten used to it. It's, it's bad, yeah, but, you know, at least we know what it is. But no. You can't get used to it because now Ahab comes along. And Ahab doesn't just come by himself, but Ahab comes with Jezebel. And as much time as Ahab gets, Jezebel figures centrally in what's coming with Ahab's wickedness, right? No Christian 
that knows their Bible and is in their right mind would ever name their daughter Jezebel. Because we've read, because we've heard, we know that she was more brutal and heartless than Ahab. We know that she was more devoted to false gods than Ahab. We know that she was a cheerleader and a ringleader for the persecution of any who were righteous and decided that they were going to worship the one true God. We know that she brought not just worship of Baal with her, but many prophets of Baal with her. And so Ahab and Jezebel, they're a match pair, aren't they? Ahab is the epitome of a bad king, in part because he lets his wife be king. Now, we'll get to that later, but this is what's going on with, with Ahab and Jezebel. So when we see the summary, and the summary says Ahab, as if it had been a nothing to follow in the sins of Jeroboam, married Jezebel and began to worship Baal. And the next verse, not just began to worship and serve Baal, but erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built. So he builds a temple to Baal, he erects an altar in the temple to Baal, and then he worships at that altar to Baal. So far, we're not we're not seeing worship of Baal in Israel. We're seeing these, this false worship in the two cities that Jeroboam had set up. We see the punishment of Jeroboam. We see the punishment of other kings for continuing in his sin. But here is where Baal worship really comes in. It's with Ahab and Jezebel. Now, why does this matter so much? After all, there's already false worship. And by the way, Asherah is another idol that the people had already been worshiping, right? And Asherah is brought up in the next verse. Ahab also made the Asherah. Okay, so that's our summary. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And then what did it? Married Jezebel, served and worshipped Baal, erected an altar to Baal in the house of Baal that he built and made the Asherah. Then it repeats, thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. There's your summary. We could 
assume that that's going to be the end of the story of Ahab right there, aside from the telling of his death. That's about how much all these other kings before us have gotten in the text. He gets about the same amount in summary, right? And then maybe another particular detail thrown in. So that's what we get actually in the next verse, verse 34. In his days, Hiel the Bethelite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now what happened at Jericho? At Jericho, kids, you remember what happened? The walls came tumbling down, right? That's what happened to Jericho. And who made the walls come tumbling down? It wasn't, wasn't Joshua. It wasn't the people. It was God who made the walls of Jericho fall down, wasn't it? It was beautiful, miraculous. As they enter into the promised land, as they begin to receive their inheritance, the promised land... God demonstrates his favor and his power and the fact that he is still with them by fighting for them. They don't have to raise a siege against the city. They don't have to tear down the walls. They don't have to wait to starve them out or fight a pitched battle against them in the plains. They just walk around the city, blowing their trumpets, worshiping God, obeying God. And God says, here's the city. It's yours now. And then he says, destroy it. And so they destroy it. This is what happened at Jericho, and as we see here, the Lord spoke a curse through Joshua at that time against the city that it should never be rebuilt. And so it might have escaped your notice the way that this is written in verse 34, in, the, in his days, Hiel the Bethelite built Jericho, you might have thought that the story was just changing to like this one random fact, you know. Oh, and by the way, there's this other guy who was alive at that time. You remember, you remember the guy, my favorite, where, that I can never figure out where it's coming from or why it's inserted, but clearly it's important. In his days, the earth was split. Remember who that was? Who was that? Peleg? Yeah, thanks. Just get that fact thrown in there, that tidbit. Oh, interesting. Who knew? Maybe it was uh, Pangea before that. I don't know. And here in the days of Eli, uh, I mean, in the, in the days of uh, Ahab, you've got Hiel also. Hiel the Bethelite. He built Jericho. No, it's not just this... It's not just a random factoid that somebody thought to include in the narrative 
by the way, this is when Jericho was rebuilt. There was so little fear of the Lord during Ahab's reign that they rebuilt Jericho. There was so little concern over what the Lord had said about that city. There was so little concern about their having received the land from the Lord. There was so little recognition of what God had given them. There was so little understanding that they only had these precious gifts, this land, this prosperous land that was flowing with milk and honey still to that day. Okay, They had forgotten that all of it was because of God. And that Jericho was left a ruin so that they would remember never to be like the people who were in the land before them. And so it was never to be rebuilt. It was to be left a ruins. They saw the ruins. And they thought, you know, we could really use a fortress over here. You know, listen, you don't rebuild a city without the king's permission. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? This is not like mega corporations in the United States where you just can decide, you know, well, we're going to build a city-sized building over here. Or where you have in China corporations that are building actual cities. Maybe it is more like China. You don't build an actual city in China without the government's permission and agreement and decision that it's a strategically good idea. And so Ahab isn't mentioned in this verse except for very beginning in his days. But in his days is the whole point. Jericho was rebuilt in his days. That's how bad it had become. That's how much worse it became during Ahab's reign. And so Hiel the Bethelite is a worker. The same as you see in many other places. The king is in charge of who's going to do his work. Hiel the Bethelite is the one assigned to rebuild Jericho. Hiel the Bethelite is the one who loses his firstborn at the start and his youngest son at the end of the work. This was the curse. This was the warning. This was what God had said through Joshua would happen to any who dared to rebuild what he had said was to be a ruin. You know, 
It's interesting to, to think about when you're dealing with that kind of curse, whether Hyle the Bethelite knew about it, knew what he was getting into. It's entirely possible he didn't, I suppose, that the word of the Lord had had been so lost to so many people that they didn't even bother to remember the warnings, the curses at this point. The worship of the true God of Israel had been so far corrupted, so far lost, they hadn't even bothered to pass down that important, important word from Joshua about the city. And yet, you know, it's just as possible, not just that this man, Hyle the Bethelite, knew the warning and proceeded anyway with no fear of the Lord. And you know, it's actually also possible that Hyle the Bethelite sacrificed his oldest son as he set up its gates and sacrificed his, as he laid the foundation, and sacrificed his youngest son as he set up the gates. That's not out of accord at all with a nation that has no fear of the Lord, is it? Human sacrifice was not unknown. In fact, human sacrifice, in particular, the sacrifice of children, is connected with Baal at several places, or quite likely connected with Baal. Some of the names that we get of the older gods uh, become a little bit confusing who it's referring to. But what we do know about Baal is that Baal was the god of fertility. And so, when you think of the wickedness of this nation, you think of what they prioritized, think of what they loved, think, think of what they were willing to give up, think of what they had forgotten, how, how far they had fallen, how high they had started, how wonderful the promises that they had made in response to God from the beginning. That when Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the people all agreed with him and joined with him in that promise. How far they've fallen. Such that not only was the threat of the loss of their children no worry to them, 
but that they would even be willing to sacrifice their children in order to have that work completed. And is that not what we see in our nation? Not, of course, that this is the promised land, but rather that this nation started with an understanding and a knowledge of the fear of the Lord that has been so far betrayed, so far gone, so far lost, that we would be reading stories about how important it is that we be allowed to sacrifice our children on the altar of convenience, on the altar of fertility, on the altar of making progress. The fear of the Lord has been lost. And so we've lived under various rulers that are wicked. And we think, I can't get any worse. And then Ahab comes. And you realize it can get a lot worse. And this is why we pray for our rulers. This is why we're commanded to pray for our rulers. So that it won't get worse. So that we'll be able to live peaceful, quiet lives serving the Lord with gladness of heart. We don't want an Ahab. We don't want an Antichrist as our ruler. Right? And that's really what Ahab is. He is the perfect Antichrist in the Old Testament. We hear the word Antichrist today and a lot of baggage that we've picked up from various teaching down through the years that's typically uh, bad theology and a lot of end times junk from the Left Behind series maybe. Or who knows what else you might have picked up. But here's the thing. Remember that David was a type of Christ. So when we say that David, King David, was a type of Christ, we mean that he was showing what the Christ was like ahead of time. In various ways, right? In being a king who was a man after God's own heart. This was David. Ahab is the anti-David. And so as David is a stand-in, a, a, a little picture of Christ, so Ahab is a little picture of the Antichrist. All that Antichrist means is against Christ. The opposite of Christ. And we'll see as we read more about Ahab how he was exactly the opposite of David, exactly the opposite of Christ 
not a picture of the promised one who was to come, but a picture of his enemies. A perfect little microcosm. Here we are, and I keep saying, we think it can't get worse, and then Ahab comes. We think it's bad here now, and then we realize as we read this that it could get worse. And the point is not to drive you to despair, of course. Though if it drives you to prayer, that would be a wonderful, appropriate response that we would fall to our knees and pray. But beyond that, what I want you to see is that Ahab, the Antichrist, the type that is the opposite of David, right? He gets all this time and things, things are really bad. But it was not a shock to God. It was not a surprise to God. And God is still in control. And we see that right there in verse 34. The curse that God had given through Joshua, the son of Nun, comes true. And we see over and over and over again through each of these kings when he says, I would have raised you up. I would have made you a great king, but you refused to worship me. And so now, the end of your line is come. That what happens? The end of the line comes. And ultimately, we will see the judgment of Ahab, the Antichrist. We will see the Antichrist overthrown. We don't get that quite here at the beginning in chapter 16, but listen to this. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Just as shocking as the entry of Ahab is, the worst king ever, so shocking is the entry of Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah whose name means, my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh came. In the middle of Ahab, whose God was Baal, 
the fertility god in charge of making sure that rains came on the land. So that everyone would have food to eat. My God is Yahweh, is now on the scene. And my God is Yahweh says, I know you think Baal's all that. Now there's not going to be any rain. And he doesn't just say, now there's not going to be any rain. I love the way that he introduces himself. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, my God is Yahweh, says, the Lord God of Israel lives. Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, said, Yahweh is my God. And I'm standing before him. He's talking to the king of Israel. And who's he standing before? Yahweh. That's who he's standing before. Yahweh who lives. Yahweh who is his God. Yahweh and Baal. We've got the whole... We've got the... The whole thing set up right here at the beginning of Ahab's reign. Yeah, all the main characters are set. The, the, the plot is ripe. You've got Ahab, you've got Jezebel, and you've got Elijah. And that's who we get for the next several chapters. But the real conflict... Real conflict is between God and Baal. The God they trusted in to bring rain. Versus Yahweh who says, Remember me? I'm alive. Baal is not. Remember me? Whether you thought that you were doing it of your own free will or not, now your sons are dead. Remember me? There are some things that are meant to be impossible for us to forget. We talk about them as, well, we, 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 if we're talking about good things, you might hear them referred to as an Ebenezer. A monument. A monument to God, to, to a memory of what God has done, what God has accomplished. Well, here in this case, we are given the beginning of a story of what God is going to do. The conflict is set. 
And we must never forget how it starts. The hopelessness of Ahab being king, Jezebel being queen, their worship of Baal and Asherah, and the calves that Jeroboam set up, which are the least of the problems. And what? God is going to show them his power and his might. And you can tell when, when chapter 17 starts. Elijah. Yahweh is my God. Says, Yahweh is alive. He's not gone. He's not gone missing. And there may be times in your life that you have walked through things that were incredibly difficult, incredibly painful, incredibly hope-destroying. And as a nation, having Ahab become your king, that's hope-destroying for the people of God. But we will see that although even Elijah begins to think there is no hope, his God is Yahweh. And so is our God. And so there is always hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one who brings the rain. You are the one who causes the sun to shine. Father, you are the one who provides money for us. You're the one who gives us our food to eat and our clothes to wear. And Father, it's very easy for us to begin to look to other gods and idols in seeking these things. Father, it's easy for us to fall into the sins of Ahab and Jezebel. And so, Father, we thank you that you record so much about them so that we will not forget Father, God, Yahweh, our God who lives and reigns eternally. Father, may we not forget your warnings. May we not forget your loving kindnesses. You are the one who has given us all these good things that we have. And so we thank you and we praise you. And we give you the glory for all of our accomplishments, Father, were done by the strength that you have given to us. We are nothing 
without those gifts. So Father, help us to take heed and be warned as we now begin to study Ahab and Jezebel. And Father, we do thank you for the hope that we see through the work, the painful, long, hard work of Elijah. Help us not to grow weary and not to lose hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.